Okay, everyone, welcome to the Respect the Math podcast brought to you by Reliable Tech Help. For all your IT needs, call Reliable Tech Help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at reliabletechhelp.com. That's reliabletechhelp.com. I am your host, Digital David Snyder. Here at the Respect the Math podcast, we talk about everything from technology to business, science, popular culture, and more. Basically, the things that I'm interested in because I'm kind of selfish that way. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast apps from Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and others. Please interact with us online, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share our content. We'd love to hear from you. Today, our guest is Krista Yaki with CORE. Yes, thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you for coming here. I'm excited to learn more about you and what CORE does, and I got a little bit of a crash course on that recently at a networking event you guys had. Yes, yes. Well, t- tell us about your background. Um, where are you from? Where did you go to college? You mentioned you've done real estate prior to this position as well. So tell us about yourself. Yeah, so so let's dive in. So uh, I am married and very blessed to be to my best friend and high school sweetheart. So we went to high school up in northern Kentucky, and he went to University of Louisville, but I did not. So I went to Illinois State University and graduated with a degree in professional sales, uh, that is why I went there. There's not many colleges that have that major. And uh, my husband is an engineer. And so I graduated before him. So I moved here um, and I've had quite a few uh, careers and different paths that I've walked down. Uh, he's still an engineer, uh, but I started for a plastic distributor in inside sales. And that was the bane of my existence. Mm. Um, and <laughs> so not my personality type. And then I sold dumpsters for a waste service provider in outside sales and loved it. Um, but corporate micromanagement uh, just made it completely unbearable mm. to the point where everyone had left but me. And then I was starting to feel like maybe they had the right idea. So yeah. Um, I, the woman who trained me is, is one of the best sales reps I've ever seen. And she went into residential real estate and sold eight houses her first month. So, uh, I reached out to her, you know, I did not respect real estate. I didn't think at the time real estate agents were very educated or worked very hard. I knew nothing about the industry. And so, um, I met with her. She was like, let's just, you know, give it a chance, see what you think. And if you don't like it, just go back to corporate. And and that's that was my plan because I'm such a corporate girl. So, uh, you know, I told myself if I didn't sell a house in six months, I'd go back into corporate and I sold 13. Wow. And then in 10 months, I sold 26. Um, and then my husband was diagnosed with cancer uh, mm. in my first year of, of being straight commission and having no benefits. And it was a really scary time. Um, what year was this? This was 2019. Okay. So he's okay. Um, you know, he is doing really well. Um, his cancer from day one was you know, they caught it very early. It was very curable. Um, but he still went through chemo. There was still just a lot of responsibilities where people talk a lot about the patient going through it, but not about their support system that's Mm. in it, you know, just as much as them. And so, 
Um, I didn't respect depression, and then I went through it. Mm. And I didn't respect counseling, and then I went through it. Real estate also. <laughs> yes, yeah, and I went through that. And, you know, it, it just really dawned on me, and it tr- it really it did change my personality type, um, which is pretty fascinating. But hmm. it just made me realize, you know, my priorities weren't in the right order, and life's too short to be chasing dollar signs all the time. Mm-hmm. And... I hated residential real estate. I mean, cool. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun to look at pretty houses, but I'm such an organized, structured person that living on a whim on everyone else's schedule Mm. was not good for me or my mental health. Yeah. And I mean, you can never take a vacation ever Mm because you're just, you're working the whole time anyway. Mm -hmm. And when you're not working, you're thinking about work. And, you know, it can be torture of what if I just make one more hour of calls and I get that next lead, you know, and you could dig a very deep hole for yourself. And so I gave myself some boundaries and realized I didn't even want to do this another year. I was good at it, but wow, you know, it pulled on my weaknesses that will always be weaknesses. And I didn't get to use my strengths as much as all my other, um, occupations that I had had previously. So it just exhausted me um, and mentally. And so I decided that, you know, I didn't want to sell houses, but I love the people and I love how hardworking they are. Most of them um, Mm -hmm. I've come to find. And I threw my hat in the ring to become uh, the manager of the second largest brokerage in town. And I got the job. Wow. And so I was very excited. I was brought in to bring change and a younger perspective and COVID hit three months later. Mm. So it was one of those things where, as we know, COVID was very challenging for all of us and experienced people, but for someone that wasn't experienced, you know, after two weeks, it was like, I got this, we can do it. And then after three months, it was like, wow, you know, this is really not going away. And then after 11 months, you know, I just kind of looked at myself in the mirror and realized this is not the job I signed up for and it, and it never will be ever again mm. because the world's changed and it's not going back. And so Ian, at that time, my husband finally proposed to me. Um, and so, finally. yeah, yes. And, um, painter get off the ladder. Well, it had been quite a few years yeah. as you can imagine. And yeah. so, um, you know, he, we had a conversation and he was like, I know you're not happy. I'm here to support you. Let's go do what you want to do. Um, and just make the most of it. And nice. so that's when I went into commercial, um, mm-hmm. because my paychecks are, you know, can be bigger, but that takes a lot longer to build that book of business to have mm. paychecks that are that big. Um, but they take a heck of a lot longer to get mm-hmm. than in the residential world. So I didn't make a paycheck for four and a half months mm. uh, when I started in commercial and uh, I love it. And so I've been doing that um, two and a half years. It'll be three years in November and I love it. So I finally feel like I found my niche in the world where I can really use my strengths on a daily basis, but also love on people and help them achieve their goals, uh, which is very rewarding. Yeah. And that's what I do. So I specialize in industrial and I do a lot of vacant land rezoning for developers and I do quite a bit of office as well. So uh, I'm at Core Partners. We are a real estate firm that is located in downtown Louisville. We specialize in 
investment sales and development in metro areas. So we really love on and know the the spider web of what downtown Louisville is and the connections to make it grow. We very frequently have masterminds on how to make downtown better and how to, you know, show people the opportunities that are located in our city. So it's it's a lot of fun. We're all very driven, um, hardworking individuals that do real estate, commercial real estate only full time. And yeah, we, we just spend every day trying to make our community better. Yeah. So let's go back and touch, touch on that. So your actual title with CORG um, is? Is sales and leasing associate. Okay. So I can help people buy or sell land or buildings, or I can help, you know, a brand new business lease a space starting out, or I can help a landlord find tenants for their whole shopping strip. So anything in the commercial realm. Okay. So um, what's interesting about um, CORG partners that I learned at the networking event you guys had a week and a half ago or last week um, is you kind of have like these pillars, right? And you're one of the pillars. Mm-hmm. Can you talk more about the team, how big you guys are and, and the, each one of those pillars of what you all do? Because I would think you can collaborate nicely with each other and leverage each person's area of expertise and background. Can you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. So, so something that I really love about the company is that it's so teamwork based. So we really work together to get things done, but we all have our specialty where we're kind of siloed, like you're mentioning. So our two owners, one of them specializes in development. That's his family's company um, that he's worked on his whole life. So he works with hotels and building things from the ground up, looking at warehouses that are run down and saying, what can I turn this into and where can I find the investors to do it? Uh, Our other owner, has been in commercial real estate for almost 20 years. He specializes in high-end retail. So a lot of the restaurants and venues that you see on Whiskey Row downtown, he's had his hands in. He knows the owners. Uh, He's in that network base that wants to have, you know, high-end experiences in different major cities across the country. And so that's his niche. Um, We have about three or four other agents, um, that specialize in different things. So one of them will work on multifamily. One of them will work on investment properties specifically. Uh, One of them is a property manager and that's what he spends most of his time doing. So we're all, we, we all don't specialize in the same thing, but we complement one another. So, you know, if I want help with a multifamily. I have a multifamily lead. I personally don't like multifamily, uh, but it's my client. I want to stay in relationships. I'll bring Alex into it because he's a lot more experienced in multifamily and enjoys doing that. Whereas Mm. I'm more there just to keep the timeline going, if that makes sense. And if the guys have an industrial client, they'll bring me in on it because I know the questions to ask up front that, you know, matter, like ceiling height and dock doors and, and all those things that, you know, electric voltage don't come up just when you're thinking about it in conversation, but that's what I know. And I know that the tenant needs to have specific requirements as well. So it just makes the conversation go a lot smoother and sets us up for success because we know what we're doing when we lean on one another and we can check more bases off together. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so you're able to leverage not only the different areas that the, your, your, your partners specialize in, but also their background and their experience 
they bring to the table prior to their position here, right? Because it's a fairly new company, right? Yes. Yeah. It started about two and a half years ago, um, but it was formed just from our two owners looking around and realizing, you know, there wasn't really a brokerage out there that was as driven to help our community succeed. So everything that we do highlights businesses in town, owners that are giving back, those type of, you know, relationships versus just, hey, let's have a networking event. You know, we brought you to a venue that a lot of people don't get access to to bring awareness to something that our city offers that a lot of people don't see because that venue doesn't market themselves. And yeah. that's how people know about it. So those type of things where we try and, and build those relationships long term with business owners in order to help them succeed as well. I love that. Um, making some money. We're not here for our health. We all have to make a living. Yes. But also giving back, right? Yes, for sure. And I didn't even know that venue exists. Let's go ahead and give them a plug. That was the uh, Thoroughbred. Yes, it was the Louisville Thoroughbred Society located on Main Street. Um, and it's it's a social club that offers. Last night, I, I just took my husband to a date night. They had a, a jazz show. Oh, so wow. They do all kinds of things. Um, some of it you buy tickets for. Some of it you could just go and enjoy. But um, it's not talked about a lot, but the people that know it love it. So, yeah. yeah. it's a really cool place. They have a cool, like, a cigar room and a patio and everything where people could smoke cigars and just hang out and have drinks and stuff. It's really neat. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for the listeners, check that out if you haven't been there. Um, let's talk more about, you mentioned, mentioned being invested in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, what's an example of, you know, something you've done recently where you're, making, you know, a living, but you're also providing a product to your clients, but you're also doing something that's enhancing the community. I'm sure you do a lot of that, specifically with um, the work you do downtown, I would assume, right? Yeah, there's quite a bit that CORE has done downtown. Um, Specifically, they're building, we're in the process of partnering and building three or four hotels currently. Um, So that's something where when you drive downtown and you see cranes and you see a vacant lot, you're like, what's that going to be? Odds are it's going to be one of the hotels that we've been working on. So that's very exciting. Most of the hotels will also have retail similar to what the Omni offers where it's, you know, come and go on the first floor to bring in Louisvillians to come and visit to the restaurants and not just, you know, here's a hotel that you can stay at type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I've done personally, because I haven't worked too much in downtown till I switched to core, because previously I was more, uh, I did a lot in Shelby County, Bullitt County. I, I did a lot in J-Town, truthfully. Mm. Um, so, you know, one of my clients had an idea. They're one of the biggest moving companies in town. And so, they were running a warehouse in J-Town, and they were like, we need to grow. We're way too big. We need somewhere to go. And for every client and commercial, the odds of finding exactly what you want are going to be next to impossible. Mm-hmm. Unless we're going to pay absolute top dollar, and you can des- design it and build it as the landlord is building it for you, yeah. um, we're going to have to make some adjustments. And so... Finding a unicorn for a client is very hard, but finding an opportunity to make their unicorn really exist is is kind of where is that's the fun part of my job is looking at them and saying, I know this makes you uncomfortable, but let's just talk it out and run the numbers. So my moving company wanted to have, you know, a very large office space, a mechanic shop for their trucks, and then they wanted to have a self-storage facility all in one property. And that takes a lot of land. Mm-hmm. And as we know, Louisville is, is pretty fairly developed. And so finding all that land together without having buildings to tear down on it is, is going to be a slim chance. So for them, 
we found a property that had a home on it, a residential home, and we converted that to an office. It had two, you know, uh, fabricated smaller warehouses, and they, instead of having one big mechanic shop, they have split it into two and can, like, you know, segregate their business a little bit better. Hmm. And then they have three extra acres that they will be able to build their storage facility on in the coming years once they get their business up and running in their new location. So wow, three acres downtown, that's probably hard to find, right? Well, this is in Middletown. Oh, okay. But yeah. still, yeah. you know, um, the fact that we found five acres all together is, is pretty miraculous. So was uh, previously zoned commercial, so that don't, that's not a problem? or Yes, it was okay. actually zoned manufacturing zoning. Oh, okay. So they manufacturing zoning allows almost all uses in the city of Louisville. So it's kind of the, the best, most expensive zoning you can buy mm. um, because you don't have to get the city to approve, you know, and pull as many permits and things like that. So, um, so that's what it was. Nice. I wanted to mention a couple of things. When you help someone develop a business or a property, a commercial um, property of what, what you were mentioning, you're creating economic activity, right, mm-hmm. for the city, which is good, right? Yeah, and it are- creates, you know, the one of the biggest rewards of what I do is is helping business owners say, here's where I'm at right now. And I get to look at them and say, where do you want to be at in five and ten years? Because you already need to buy more inventory or you already need to hire more people. And so being that catalyst that gives them the opportunity to do that a lot faster once I can help them find the space uh, is a lot of fun. And, you know, touching back on what you were just asking about opportunities and giving back to the community downtown, something that um, the owners of my office have just opened and it'll be announced, uh, I think probably next week, but it's going to open in a month as uh, a live music venue on Whiskey Row. Oh. And so that was a very large deal um, that we've been negotiating for months and months. And it's finally finished construction and it's going to open soon. Uh, it's called number 15 and it'll have three different stories of live music styled after a Nashville bar, but it's not a honky tonk version. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very excited to have that in our city because we don't really have live music, you know, at a high level that people can just go and, and relax yeah. without buying tickets for. So we think that'll bring a lot of attention to downtown and more walkability for people to want to just wander around and, and support the businesses down there too. That's great. You're also, besides creating economic opportunity, opportunity, you're creating jobs for people who live in this community, which is a big deal too, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. And that's what I love is like, you know, do you, have you already hired them and you don't have the space or you need the space and then you can hire them. That's kind of the egg or the chicken conversation. Yeah. Circling back to something you said earlier, I made a note of, you mentioned you had some jobs and you did them to the best of your ability, but you knew it wasn't a right fit for you. Right. Mm-hmm. I heard someone say yesterday in a podcast that he wanted his son uh, to start out his professional life and some jobs that really sucked. <laughs> To give them some perspective, right? Yes, <laughs> right? I totally agree with that. Don't yeah. you appreciate what you're doing now all the more because of how unsatisfying or unple- unpleasant the work you were doing before was? Yes, and and that's something where, you know, there were times when I was younger. It's funny, I feel like an, you know, aged, experienced person now, but um, where I just got so down on myself. There was one point where I had had four different career positions within five years, Wow. And, you know, when I was in college, that was something professors were still like pounding in our minds was you need to stick with the company. You've got to work your way up. You know, you need to build a reputation so that people take you seriously. And I and I just realized, you know, I'm not happy and I'm not doing as well as I could in a different space. And 
Also, why does it matter what other people think? Because I'm the one in charge of my destiny and I'm the one in charge of my bank account, you know, and, and I'm not going to live my life under anyone's thumb. And so I finally came to terms with, I'd rather be happy and living the life I want to live than feel tortured being stuck. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I go through my days peacefully and I sleep at night knowing that everything I have is what I've built for myself and all the mistakes I've made were also things that had my DNA in it too. And I own that. Mm -hmm. And and so there's a lot of self-reflection, but a lot of growth opportunities and a lot, a lot of experience compared to most individuals my age. Yeah. Because I've had the staff of seven that reported to me and I've been straight commission and I have not been straight commission, you know, and so I can yeah. look at things from so many different perspectives and, and that gives me the ability to help other people a lot better too. You mentioned your age. How old are you? I'm 28. 28. Wow. You do have a lot of wisdom and life experience for 28. That's for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Most people think I'm in my mid thirties. So what do, you, what do you, what do you attribute that to? Were you forced to do that at a young age or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's just kind of had to necessity being the mother of invention. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, what do you think makes you so attractive to um, these employers that you've had? Because you, you've obviously climbed the ladder quite a bit in a short period of time. Time. What do you attribute that to? What are your natural talents? What are your skills you picked up along the way? What's your approach to interacting with people? Because you're obviously representing yourself well and performing. Can you share that? Because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening would like to learn from that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, there's so many layers to that onion. But you know, a lot of it comes from contribution of things that I've learned. I always am willing to pass on, but I also hold myself to such a high standard. It's also a little unhealthy personally. It can um, be, yeah. Yes. But every, you know, leader that I've interviewed with, you know, they're like, what, what holds you most accountable? And I look at every single one of them and I say, nothing will ever hold me as accountable as I hold myself. Mm -hmm. So don't think the goals you set for me are going to be what I do. I set my own goals and they're probably going to be higher and harder than yours. Mm. And I'll do everything in my power to, to make them come true. And I think when people see how driven I am and how much I, I am destined to live an incredible life, I won't take no for an answer or settle because I know that all of us are capable of greatness. It's just a matter of how bad you're willing to work for it mm -hmm. to get it. And I think to just having a really positive bubbly attitude mm -hmm. is hard to find nowadays mm -hmm. and it goes so much farther than anybody realizes you yeah. know i don't feel like i'm trying to impress people when i make fun of myself and and laugh at you know something stupid i've done but when people see that i'm real and i say it like it is there is definitely going to be times and i've told leaders that as well where it's like i promise i will overstep sometime and I will probably say something that you wish I didn't say but I need you to tell me when I do that so that I can learn from it mm -hmm. and I also respect you as a leader but I also expect you to respect my opinions as well mm -hmm. and seeing how they take that conversation of how open are they to feedback everybody's willing to give feedback yeah. but are you willing to take it uh, really helps me know how much I want to work with that person because I am always striving to be better and pushing myself to grow. And if I'm not in the room with people that are like that, then I don't need to be in your room and I'll go somewhere else. 
And yeah. I have no problem doing that. I like that. You know, uh, you're obviously a motivated person and you're assertive. What would you tell specifically to other women trying to figure out their career and climb the ladder and reach their goals? What would you, what would, cause you obviously have had to over facts or facts, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a <laughs> Push little, through it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little more difficult to be a minority of whatever type, yes. racial, uh, woman, hetero, you know, gay, whatever it might be. What mm-hmm. would you tell people who, who right now are listening to you say, wow, this person has climbed, you know, all these rungs of the ladder and she's obviously like self-confident and assertive. What would you tell those people who are struggling with that to, uh, um, some, as some, um, behaviors or some mindsets they can adopt to achieve the type of success that you have? Something that I, you know, coach my own friends and just women that surround me in is, is take a compliment. You know, I think a lot of women feel like you owe someone something and you don't. And so I go out of my way personally to just when I'm passing a total stranger, I'm like, I love your dress today. And I don't give her the chance to compliment me back because mm. I don't want her to. I want her to learn how to just accept the compliment and trust mm. that a stranger knew something about you that maybe you didn't know about yourself and see yourself in a, in a very positive, different light. Yeah. Because as women in our culture, we can just get so down on ourselves and women can be really mean. And unfortunately, there's quite a few women leaders out there that have trained the younger generations to just tear down people. And you don't need to tear down others to climb the ladder. I promise. But you do have to stand up for yourself and you do have to know that you're worth it and that you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, we had some, some guests, females younger than me visiting our office meeting. And I'm the only woman at my office besides our office manager that started um, recently. And these young women didn't sit at the table. And so we were having a meeting with all eight of us. And these two young women were sitting in the corner. And I moved around and I was like, please bring your chair up to the table. And they're like, no, we're fine over here. They just assumed they didn't have a place at the table? Yes. Yeah. And and I would say to you women, always assume not only that you've earned your seat at the table, but you deserve to be there. Because mm-hmm. I don't ever question that. And if men feel like pushing me out, then I'll just get louder (laughs) so that you know I'm an equal. But that also comes with, I know what I'm talking about. And I'm a smart cookie because I study my industry. So don't think that these guys aren't going to test you because they will. But when you start impressing them with the knowledge you have, and I have to work so much harder to know a lot more than them Mm. a lot of times to show that I have a spot here and it's going to stay. And I think that's where a lot of women struggle is they feel like, oh, well, if I'm outspoken, then they're going to think that I'm just looking for attention. Well, you are because you have something to say. Mm -hmm. Like that means you need everyone's attention to share what you're thinking. You know, it's not being selfish. It's not being greedy. You know, it's not being a B word. It's just knowing your stuff and and being a part of a team to share something to make everybody better and and make people think about things from a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I tell my wife uh, from time to time, we talk about how it's unfair for a lot of reasons. And uh, one of the things we bring up is, uh, you know, a man can roll out of bed, comb his hair in five minutes, be out the door, presentable at the workplace, right? Yeah. But we expect women to spend an hour and a half in front of the mirror and wear a certain dress and, and makeup and do their hair and all this stuff. And if that, if that wasn't bad enough, they, they have to come to work. And thankfully, this is nowhere near as bad as it used to be, but be constantly subjected to insensitive jokes and sexual yeah. harassment and all that. 
And on top of that, the man who's in the office dating and talking to different women or wherever, he's celebrated. The woman who does that's a whore, right? right? So there's all these double standards. And I think a lot of times women kind of perpetuate them mm-hmm. on themselves, right? Yeah. So uh, the, I think uh, Steve Harvey wrote a book, uh, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That's I like a fun movie too. <laughs> oh, I'll bet it. Yeah, they did make a movie, didn't they? Was mm-hmm. it good? Yeah, it was okay. really funny. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm for the underdog, so I'm always looking out for the person that's been dismissed because they're the they, the perception is they didn't come from the right family or the right neighborhood right. or they didn't go to the right college or they're they're a woman or they're a racial minority or whatever it be. Th- those are the people that I seek out because I believe in a s- society that values human rights and uh, individual dignity and personal liberty, you should seek out those folks to try to help them precisely because their voice is not as strong mm-hmm. and their access to resources and their ability to help themselves and to fight for themselves, right, is, is, is compromised somewhat. Well, and I you think know. a lot of people too, you know, speaking on that is it's one thing to notice and it's another thing to do something about it. Mm. Because no matter if it's a man or a woman, one of my personal rules is I do not ever speak over anyone. I don't care if you're yelling at me. I don't care if we're just best friends and having a great conversation. If you start talking, I will immediately stop talking. And I, that took time to train myself to do mm, that. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where s- when you start noticing how many people get cut off when they're trying to say something and the group leader does not come back to them to share what they tried to say, mm-hmm. that hurts people internally and it trains them to believe what they had to say wasn't important in the first place and so something that I go out of my way and do because I noticed that as well and I'm an underdog myself you know making my way in the world is I'll go back and say hey David what, what did you try and say I missed it you know because I am loud and I also demand attention a lot easier than some but all groups have that person and so when you're that person in the group that can speak up for others don't steal their idea, don't say it for them, open the door so that they can have the courage and confidence to start speaking up for themselves. And that's how, you know, more confident, you know, people like me can can help others get mm. make their own way in the world as well. Yeah, there's a common theme in all these things you're talking about, and it's self-awareness, right? Yes. Are you constantly checking yourself, reevaluating your, your actions and your thoughts and trying to ref- refine them and improve them? I am, and I will tell you, I uh, never did that uh, up until probably two years ago. I put myself through self-awareness training. Wow. Because And it was painful and horrible, uh-huh. <laughs> but it taught me but a it's lot. it's worth it, right? It taught me a lot. Yeah. And because it, I got to the point in my life, and I've always, always struggled with having real girlfriends, you know, and having women that wanted to be that shoulder to cry on that I could just be myself with. Um because women can be really competitive. And so I would have all these business friends. And then when it came to personally, who did I just want to share a bottle of wine with on a Wednesday? And I didn't really have anyone to call, Mm. you know? And so, um, it's almost like a Facebook thing where it's like life in the business world looks like I'm popular and I get invited to all these things, but who really knows me? Mm. And I started through self-awareness and taking feedback, finding out that I have an edge that hurts people. And that was said to me by Mm. one of my um, leaders that I worked for. And she was a woman that I respected a lot. And she said, I don't know how to fix that for you. But I know that you're going to keep hurting people if you don't change. 
And so everything I do is trying to help people. And so realizing that I was hurting people with my words and my directness when I did not intentionally mean to was really hard for me to wrap my head around because Mm -hmm. I always say it like it is, but the older I get, the more I realize other people can't say it like it is as easily as I do. And they definitely can't take it Mm -hmm. the way I do. Um, Because you could tell me the most horrible news and, and I'll, Take it for you and we'll have a conversation about it. But I do not absorb that mm-hmm. from you. Yeah. I don't take people's anger or sadness. And that's very specific to my personality type. And most people view that like, wow, what a strength. But it's also a weakness mm-hmm. when I can't level with you when you're really, really sad. Mm-hmm. If it's not a personal experience that I've been through personally, it's hard for me to say, wow, sorry about that. You know, and so... When I go through all of my conversations at the end of the day, you know, I think through what did I say? How did they perceive it? How could they have perceived it differently? You know, with their personality type specifically, could I have worded it different so that they understood better? Mm -hmm. And so I think through that in every single conversation I have now, uh, which is a lot. And um, but when you start doing it regularly, it doesn't feel like a lot. Yeah. You know, and so it just becomes a new normal on on how you can be better. And when I have friends that, you know, are open to feedback too, I'll go to them and say, hey, based on this person's personality type that you were talking to, I think they took it this way. And so now I'm better able to help other people open their minds and see things from not their perspective. So it's creating more of a neutral ground so that everybody can be on the same page and, and not get their feelings hurt and feel like, well, now I don't ever want to talk to them again. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Two things I wrote down while you were talking. Uh, the first one was, um, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you found yourself through self-awareness uh, um, discovering that it, you were lacking in empathy for other people. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, very fair. And do you know the difference between sympathy and empathy? I think most people don't. I believe, and you can correct me, but sympathy is when you're, you're helping people through it and they're the ones really going through it, but you're there for them. You have sympathy and sadness for what they're going through. Empathy is kind of when you go down in the well with them and, and pick them up out of it. And so is that when you more of a personal level? I don't want to tell you that you're wrong, but my, you can tell me that I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously I struggle in it. So I'm not, I don't know it at a high level. (laughs) Well, I was actually corrected by a psychologist when I told, when I told them this and they came back later and told me I was right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So here's my take on it. I'm not saying it's the absolute truth. Well, but this tell me. Is, now I need to know. Well, if you break down the words, sim and path, and then m and path, a path has to do with how do you get somewhere, right? Literally going down a path. A pathologist figures out the path of a disease or a treatment. So Fair. And sim, the, uh, the prefix means um, uh, same, essentially. Okay. Same path. So sympathy literally means... I can identify with how you feel because I went through the same thing. Mm-hmm. Empathy is the re- sympathy's easy. Mm-hmm. When your friend says, "I lost my dog," you say, "Oh my gosh, I lost my dog two years ago." I, I, I had that same experience, and yeah. it's easy to relate to that, right? It, empathy is the hard one because that's where you have to identify with someone and tr- try as best as you can to feel what they're feeling or mm. identify with it when you haven't had that experience. Okay, so that sounds legit. 
I, I think I think it yeah I, th- I think it makes sense and it was uh, fact checked by a psychologist who originally thought it was wrong so I, I, I think my credentials there are solid. You may, Congrats! You, thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you. I need, I'm very insecure, so please keep the compliments coming. <laughs> I need that. Okay, I can. We'll work on your confidence, David. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, the second thing that I was thinking of when you were talking was um, the metaphor. Of, let's say I want to have a bigger chest, bigger pecs. I can go in the gym and I can lift heavier and more reps of chest press, right? Well, you mentioned the empathy thing and having sympathy and so forth, relating to people. Like It's like anything else. You can target it and you can do it and you can get better at it, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to what I said. Understanding people's feelings is not a strength of mine, but it's a weakness that I've gotten a lot better in. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's still something I struggle with, Sure. but it's not as weak of a point in my personality type as it used to be because I focus on it a lot more. Yeah, and one thing I learned, I've always been fascinated with and started studying successful and happy people a long time ago because yeah. I, I, was, I wasn't either, <laughs> mm. but I always wanted to be. Um, and so I was always fascinated with them. And one thing I learned about really successful people who function at a really high level, and that could be in the business world, that could be financially, that could be in your relationships, your family, all this stuff, is that they took what most people would see as a weakness and they turned it into a strength. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but um, disproportionately represented in the ultra high levels of um, corporate executive positions in this country are people on the autism spectrum. Have you mm, heard that? I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And Elon Musk actually has Asperger's. A lot of people don't, okay. a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. So they took what some people would class or most people would classify as a disability, right? Some psychological disorder, whatever it might be. And those people realize, wait a minute. There are some things about this that I have to be mindful of and work around and get better at. But what I'm really dealing with here is a unique perspective on the world. Right. Right. So, and their gifts are, are so big. You know, society can't push them in a box and tell them to conform. It doesn't work for them. No, but yeah. they can blossom in areas and see things differently from people that aren't on the spectrum. Yeah. Ani DeFranco once said in a song, every tool is a weapon depending on how you hold it. Mm. Right. There's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. I'd like to circle back a little bit more to core um, properties here. Yeah. I have a tendency to get off on personal tangents. <laughs> Love it. Let's get back here to for wh- it. Yeah. One of the main reasons we're doing this today is to promote you and your business and what you guys do. You mentioned um, um, kind of enjoying the chase, right? Mm-hmm. Of landing a client, learning their needs relating to them and then going out and finding what they need, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that more? Yeah. And so that's something where, you know, not all salespeople are created equal. Okay. So there's hunters and gatherers and it's very hard to be both. And it depends on your personality type. So I was trained to be a hunter. So I would get leads, I'd build the relationship, I'd sign the contract and I would move on. And I would- Volume based. Yes. I would keep doing that. And then gatherers are the ones that become best friends with their client and they are there every step of the way and they almost over communicate with value. Mm -hmm. And so now in commercial real estate, every, every job I've taken career path, I've gone down, the sales cycle has gotten longer and in commercial real estate, very few people make it. That's why there's not many of us Mm. because most of my deals take nine to 12 months to close Mm. and I'm pretty much a professional cat herder, you know, because I have those initial conversations. We find the property and then I have to make sure you get all of your inspections you need, that your attorneys are on the same page, that your financing is really going to go through, you know. And so there's all these additional steps um, where me personally, 
having my number one strength is strategy. And so I can look at that and be like, boom, boom, boom. This is what we need to do. Perfect. Cool. Um, but I struggle in the empathy standpoint where it's like, okay, well, your business is, is taking a back seat because you won't cut the check to grow. So, you know, and then. But my, that can benefit the client if they need to hear that, right? Yes, but you can't say it like that, right. you know? And so it's like, in my mind, that's how I say it. And yeah. I'm like, what are you going to do? You have to translate it. Yes. Yeah. And so, and so that's where I've taught it. myself to yeah. pause. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I write a text and delete it and then write it again, keep half of it. And then I make the ending like, just let me know. Can't wait to hear from you. You yeah. know, because <laughs> that's not how I wrote it the first time. Um, but building those relationships and trust yeah. is, is what I specialize in. And, and I tell everyone, I will never lie to you. And you will most likely always know what I'm thinking, right. whether I've said it or my face tells on me. Because yeah. I'm, I'm not fake. And I also am not good at trying to be fake. So I just am not even going to bother. Yeah. Um, but it also comes down to when a client's being unrealistic, I try and explain to them, this is how our world works, especially mm. when people are used to the residential side of things. Nothing's going to happen in 30 days. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, <laughs> you know, have setting them up for success from the beginning so that they don't get disappointed at every step of the way, but also teaching them, if you want to do it, we need to do it the right way. You need to pay for all these expensive inspections up front because if you buy it, you close on it, and then you find out it has hazardous waste, who's going to pay to fix that? You. Mm -hmm. And so that's my job to protect them and educate them so that they don't get themselves in a really bad situation. Um, and probably follow-up is, is something that either agents do really well at or they struggle with. And mm -hmm. it's like that in all facets of real estate. If you don't stay in front of your clients and build value, then why would they hire you versus hiring someone else that they see more frequently? Mm -hmm. And so I always try and touch my clients either with a newsletter or I'll share an article of value of a new development that's going in that nearby that affects their business, mm -hmm. things like that, so that they know I'm always looking out for them. Yeah, you have to cultivate that relationship over time, right? Yes, a yeah. long time. And that's something that I personally have had a lot of conversations with my mentors about because now that I'm in year three of my own business, you know, I don't have to help strip clubs and smoke shops and, you know, a lot of the businesses that aren't exactly the most desirable. Yeah. And I can focus on really high dollar, really intentional clients that I can make an Im a bigger impact to that will be repeat clients, you yeah. know? And so that's where I'm shifting my focus this year to really hone in on, on people that want the guidance and help versus yeah. want me to be transactional. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. You got, you and I are kindred spirits. I call that manicuring your client base. Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> it took, it took me like 10 years to not say yes to everything. Right. It's hard, but it feels good. Doesn't it? Yes. You know that you don't have to work for that person who's going to be a pain in the ass the whole time. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to support something that violates your values or your morals, you know, that kind of thing. So, right. wow. Your trajectory is very accelerated. Three years in, you're already manicuring your client uh, base. <laughs> Thank you. I, I like that. No, it's a sign of um, competence, but also intentionality, right? Like you're authoring your life here and you're going to work with the clients you want to on the terms that you want to. And if it's not a good fit, then there's probably somebody else down there, right? Yeah. And you're going to advocate for them too at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you don't want to do anything out of desperation. Right. And so. It smells no, really bad, doesn't it? Yeah. And then like everybody <laughs> can smell it from a mile away yeah. and it's cringy and horrible, yeah. you know, and it's, I had a lender reach out and 
I hadn't talked to her in probably four months. And she's like, can you give me the cell phone number of your biggest client? And I was like, no. Yeah, no, I can't. Yeah, Yeah, I'm like, who are you? And what are you going to, you're going to be salesy with them like you are with me. And so, you know, I think people just don't realize how impactful being blunt like that is. And it doesn't shine you in a good light. But when you come to me with something of value that I have the opportunity to share with a client, then by all means, I'll connect you. But don't just think you're going to get a sale because, and I just handed you someone's private contact information. Um, But yes, it is very freeing. And I would say, if you're listening and you're in a spot where you're like, I want to, I want to do that. I want a manicure. You have to figure out what's that money amount that you need in your bank account in order to say no to deals for the next six months. Mm. You know, what do you feel comfortable with? If you didn't get another deal till you got a good one till six months from now, what would you be willing to get by on so that you have that confidence to say, you know what, I, re- I really don't need to help you. Yeah. And I wish you luck, you know, and you can, like like we've been saying, just move on and not have to regret it. You establish a baseline you can operate from, but your integrity is intact at that point. Exactly. You don't, you don't have to take this or that shortcut or deal, deal, deal with this or that shady deal or difficult client. Exactly. You yeah. know, because you've set boundaries. And, and again, we've been talking about everybody starts somewhere. And I, my first two years, accepted every deal. I had a grocery store that got turned into an illegal strip club while I had it under contract. You want wow. to talk about a nightmare <laughs> and a nightmare. Yeah. And it had went through this huge legal battle and all these things. And we can get drinks and discuss that whole thing. But, but it's something where I looked at my husband and I was like, I don't ever want to be in this position again mm-hmm. to represent someone so unethical mm-hmm. that I want nothing to do with. And... You know, usually I buy all my clients closing gifts and I bought myself a margarita pitcher nice. for that Because <laughs> yeah. it was like, I yeah. don't ever want to talk to you again. I don't want any, I don't want my name anywhere near you. Yeah. And so I don't let myself be in that position anymore. And it just comes down to vetting your clients a lot better and having the strength to know that you can say no. Yeah. That reminds me, um, it's easy to think about success and the things you're willing to do for it. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to say yes to getting out of bed earlier and working late and hustling. I'm willing to do A, B, and C, and D, right? But I think equally important is the things you're willing to say no to, right? right? I'm not going to go out and party when I could be working or working out or sleeping or pursuing whatever goal I'm having, you know? Well, and I think that opens up. You got to open up the communication channels too with the people you love, you know, because my husband looked at me, I reset my goals every December for the next year. And so I was so exhausted in 2022 because we've sat down and realized I had been going to like three networking events after business hours a week. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to socialize that much anymore. I've worked really hard to plant seeds and I don't need to party with people. And when you start seeing people in the same circles, you're like, are you really here to network? Are you really here to drink? You know, and or dating or whatever. Right. And it's like, that's not really what I'm here for. And I don't need this because I have a loving family I can go home to, you know. And so we were like, okay, only max one networking event a week. And no, you're just not allowed to do more than that. Mm -hmm. And it is what it is. And so that was something where he had to have that conversation with me because I'll run myself into the ground Mm. trying to build business. But it was the ability for him to remind me, I'm here to take care of you. I know you don't need me to, 
but you need to take care of yourself. And when you're on all day in all of your meetings, and then you go to a huge social party at night, you know, there's nothing left of you for me Mm -hmm. by the time I get home. And that made me sad. Yeah. Because that's not the marriage I want. And so you have to restructure and, and realign. Yeah. There's constantly that reflection of yourself to yourself in the form of living with someone or being married, right? Yeah, yes. Like everybody else you can deal with during the day, even even if they're, they're being terrible or whatever, because you get to go home, mm-hmm. but the person you live with or the person you go home to is also the person remind, reminding you of your lesser qualities or what you might have done done wrong there's no place to go home from right so right it's, right it's, it's constant and it's tricky right you have to you've got to be that. happy at home that's yeah. where you sleep yeah hopefully right <laughs> right yeah. hopefully i wanted to ask you what does your ideal client look like my ideal client would be someone that you don't have to have a ton of money but you've got to have a business plan and a trajectory to know where you want to go And, you know, like I said, I can help people in almost all real estate sectors, whether just me personally, or I could bring someone on my team to help. But you have to have an idea of how much money it takes, first off, to run your business alone. And then once I can go through the numbers with you of what the real estate faction of that looks like, how are you going to grow to sustain? Because the last thing anybody needs is for your business to go bankrupt yeah. You know, and then you've got to turn your deed over to the bank or things like that. Isn't it shocking how many business owners don't know their numbers? It is appalling. <laughs> you have no idea. Like. I mean, it's it's really sad because, I mean, I've already helped people. And again, I've only been doing this three years. I've already helped businesses that have already gone out of business. Wow. And they signed long-term contracts. And I had conversations with them to prepare. But if you're something that needs a lot of inventory to sell, like retail. Yeah. And you think all the money in your bank account is just going to go to paying your lease and not buying the inventory for you to then sell, you're not going to make it. And so that's a lesson I learned that I now pass on to a lot more retail client conversations. So it's something where I need you to do the math. I'll help you with it. But at the end of the day, you're the one signing and personally guaranteeing, you know, what you're signing. So I'm here to do everything I can to make you successful, but if you don't know where you want to go, I'm not going to take the time to figure that out for you. Yeah. What type of introductions are you looking for or, you know, to, for clients? You know, right now with the way the market is, we have so many buyers interested in buying and like no sellers that want to sell. Kind of like how the residential world is working. Yeah. But in the commercial world, a lot of it is, is very wealthy people that don't need to sell. Mm-hmm. And and there's a whole tax write-off, you know, situation you can do when your building's empty. Mm. So they're still making money even though their building has no tenants in it. It's it's right. wild. But I would say a lot of the introductions we're needing are either families, farms, up around Shelbyville, up around, you know, where that Ford battery plant's going to go because a lot of those families know like, oh, this might be worth a lot. And I'm going to tell you, it's probably worth way more than you think, Mm. um, unless you're just really unrealistic. But developers need somewhere to build. And so that's a really big um, sector of business that's going well right now. And then in Louisville specifically, we have got to get more flex space. And when I say flex space, I mean, let's think about, you know, a 20,000 square foot warehouse split into 5,000 sections. Mm. 
5,000 square foot sections. Uh, five, okay, 5,000 yeah. sections would be very small. No, yeah, yeah, no, there's only four tenants. Okay. Um, but, you know, the so back... four sections, 5,000 square feet. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the back 4,000 square feet will be office, and the front will be 1,000 square foot of... Or, oh my gosh, 4,000 square feet in the back is warehouse with a roll-up door, and the front 1,000 is an office. Okay. And that's where pest control, HVAC, plumbing, electricians... That's the space they need, and we have almost none of it left in Louisville. And so businesses that are successful and need somewhere to go out of their house have nowhere to go to grow and, and keep thriving. And you call that flex space? We call that flex space, yes. So you're looking for property and also possible investors in that, right? Yeah, okay. investors that would want to build that um, because there's just there's just not much of it around right now, unfortunately. Okay. What are good referral sources for you? Do you like to meet other realtors, mortgage brokers, commercial bankers? Are those all good examples of... Um... Yeah, I would say a, a lot of good attorney conversations is, is kind of what my world consists of. Uh, I know a lot of lenders um, and they have some great programs, but they're, I send my clients to them usually versus they send things to me. Mm. Um and then I have a lot of referrals from my residential real estate friends. So if a residential agent, you know, wants to either learn it or they just want to hand it off, that's something where I do a lot of business that way because it's two totally different worlds. So it's not good for you to learn it mm -hmm. if you're only going to do one or two deals. And it's also not good for you to wing it on your own because there's a lot more legalities and a lot more money on the line to make sure you do it correctly. Great. So. Well, I think we answered some really good questions about who you are and what you do. Yeah. Um, can you give us your, our quick 30-second elevator speech for core properties and what you can do for your clients? Yeah. So my name is Krista Yaki. I'm a commercial real estate agent with Core Partners. We are a real estate firm that specializes in development and investment sales, helping landlords and entrepreneurs invest in commercial real estate through all factors of the industrial, land, office, retail sectors. Perfect. I think I misspoke there. Did I say core properties? If I did, I apologize. Core, it's core real estate partners, yeah. Core real estate partners. It's all good. Perfect. And uh, how, how can people uh, interact with you? Email, website, phone number, what do you prefer? Uh, feel free to email me. My email is Krista with a K, K-R-I-S-T-A at core, C-O-R-E, 502.com. Perfect. One more time on the email. Krista at core502.com. And what's y'all's website? Is it core502.com? Mm, I think. Just okay. look up Core Real Estate Partners. We're on Main Street. There we go. Just Google, <laughs> just Google Krista Yaki or Core Real Estate Partners. Perfect. Well, thank you for being here. Um, we've learned a lot about what you do, and uh, your team that you work with at Core Partners is very impressive. So, I Thank just, you. I will share that with them. Yeah, I just wanted to say that. Um, right now, I have three questions for you. Oh, ask me. Yeah, so... Um, why are you happy? Well, I knew you were going to ask me that. And when we first set this meeting about a month ago, I was really happy. And in the last couple of weeks, I have been put through the ringer, uh, with my family's health. And, mm. and there's been a lot of unhappiness, a lot of, is my dad going to die? Oh, you know, hard wow. things. And so when I knew we were meeting today, I thought, okay, you know, this hits a little harder than when I first knew we were going to discuss it. So I just want to say, you don't have to, to be happy, cheery every day. But I think what you're asking more is the core of, of your being, you know, what keeps you going every day and, and keeps you positive. And so something that that is a 
foundation belief in my world is that I, I don't deserve anything. Mm. And so everything that I have been given or achieve is a gift. Mm. And that comes with being filled with a lot of gratitude. When you look at your life circumstances from that perspective, you don't feel entitled and you don't get as disappointed in other people because I'm in charge of me Mm -hmm. and I'm doing the best I can and I'm doing everything I can to get the life I want for myself, but I know that that I'm the one in charge of it. And so when you look at things like they're a gift, um, it, it just means so much more. And it's funny because when I was younger, I came from a very rough life and there's a lot, a, a lot there, you know, and, um, a family that wasn't very present and just financially, uh, bankrupt and all the obstacles that come with that. And so when I was young, you know, my goals were, I just, I want a reliable car. I want to actually find a man who will love me and wants to, to help me and take care of me. I want a beautiful house in a decent area. And I can tell you, uh, with so much gratitude, David, that I did that at 27. Nice. And Ian and I bought a house last year, and I looked at him, and I was like, well, babe, I, as far as what 10-year-old Krista thought, yeah, she's made it. Yeah. And um, I'm thinking I'll have quite a bit of life left, hopefully. So yeah. what does it look like from here? And yeah. so I think when you look at the basics, what do I need? What What's my non-negotiable that I want to achieve? Everything from this point on is kind of icing on the cake. And so that is what gets me through every day. Yeah, I like that. You and I have a lot in common. I, um, I think I had a similar journey to you. At one point in my life, I had a chip on my shoulder trying to prove people wrong and I didn't go about things the right way, you know, and I learned that there's a, a, a pleasant way to tell almost anybody anything, even if it's uncomfortable, right. you can say it a nice way. Right. And for me, the realization that I had was that I am ultimately insignificant, right? Mm-hmm. I'm on the earth, which is one of hundreds of billions of planets and hundreds of billions of galaxies and right. so and all that. Right. Yeah. And, and the universe is billions of years old. I'm, I'm ultimately nothing. Right. And once I realized that everything opened up. Yeah. Right. I don't deserve anything. Like you said, I'm not entitled and you get a unique sense, sense of joy and wonder, um, from the things that come into your life that are good, and you have an overflowing amount of gratitude, right? I think if more people looked at themselves in the mirror in the morning and just whispered, get over yourself. Mm, Don't take yourself too seriously. Right. Like, the world would be a totally different place. I agree. And so that's that's why I laugh at myself. You got to just, I mean, make the most of it, but nobody cares about you as much as you. Yeah. So <laughs> when it, you humble yourself, you can get a lot farther. Absolutely. With Zig Ziglar, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I like that. Yeah. Question number two, and these are a little bit out of sequence today, but that's okay. You're fine. Why are you successful? I am successful because I am willing to start over as many times as it takes to get where I want to go. And I only want to go where I want to go and yeah. not where other people expect me to be. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. Um, and like we've discussed quite a bit when you, you don't necessarily have to go through self-awareness, but even in the bad times, when you take the lessons you've learned 
just as lessons learned. Yeah. And you don't keep killing yourself over it and you don't, you know, keep puffing yourself up of what a good job you did. And you're like, okay, that went well and that could have gone better. And you keep taking that and growing yourself as you go. That helps you achieve so much more and it helps you be able to lift other people up better as well, which is also part of success too. You're not going to make it on your own. You've got to have a village that lifts you up to help you get there. And the only way you're going to do that is by genuinely caring about other people and being willing to make their lives better as much as your own. Yeah, I I feel the same way. Um, Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, forgive me, uh, arguably the greatest scientist of all time, the Mm -hmm. father of uh, modern science once said, if I have seen something new, it's only because I stood on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. Right. If he can have some humility as the greatest scientist of all time. (laughs) Yeah, I think I can too, right? Yes. Perfect. Uh, The last question, we've already talked about this, but um, what obligation do you feel to help other people? You know, um, I wrote down my favorite Bible verse, whether people are religious or not. It's it's more the, the premise of it, but it's Luke 12, 48, and it's for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked of them. Mm. And that is my favorite Bible verse, not because it's warm and fuzzy, yeah. but because it keeps me on my knees mm. and humbled to know that I have been given so many gifts, but that means a lot is expected of me to give back and, and give to others. Mm-hmm. And so I, with every fiber of my being, try to live my life through that so that I can be a light that gives other people hope uh, and confidence to know that it's your life. We can make it what you want it to be. um, You know, and and you're not alone, but if I've been through it, I'm, I'm willing to do everything I can to help you through it and, and be better. So, yeah, yeah. I like that. There's so many, um, there's so many uh, people that have helped me that didn't have to, they had no, you know, the, they had no overt motivation to do it. They just wanted to help me along the way. Right. And so I felt I have the rest of my life of paying it forward just to try to balance those scales, you know? Right. And then the other side of helping other people and being kind and generous is, for me, there's a selfish side of it, and that is I genuinely enjoy it. Yes. Right? Yes. It makes me happy. And when I help someone and they thank me, my typical response these days is, your success is my success. I love that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Thanks. Well, that was, those were great answers. I really, really am impressed with you. And I think we have a lot. Thanks. We have a lot of things in common. Um, That segment of three questions, three questions has been brought to you by our nonprofit, See Good to Be Good, which aims to act as a source of hope, motivation, and inspiration to help folks achieve their dreams. We're currently accepting donations to help fund our needs-based scholarship to help a young person pay for their education in the arts. If you'd like to help us, please let us know. And you have a, a nonprofit or charity that is close to your heart and you'd like to m- mention, correct? Yes, yes. I am uh, on the development committee of, of Spark Hope. Uh, it stands for Single Parent Resource Center, and they help break the poverty cycle uh, of single parents with support through higher education. So mm-hmm. I think you've gotten the gist that uh, I'm willing to help people as much as they're willing to help themselves, and that's exactly what this organization does. It helps single parents pursue a degree, no matter what kind of degree, GED, master's, you know, PhD, whatever. And, um, but it gives them a food pantry. It can help them pay their utility bills. It gives them birthday party kits for their kids. So 
you you have so many obligations as a single parent and a lot of them feel like they're failing all the time and a lot of them really could use some help and so this organization helps them get by while they try and create a better life for their family so um yeah love that give them a plug how how can we find out about them contact them offer to help well, uh, Laura Wingfield is the director. They're located in Middletown, so it's just a local nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where their food pantry is located as well. Um, but I would just go to the Spark Hope website, read their story of how they were founded um, and how they've grown over the all these years. Um, and they do lots of events that you can attend. You can sponsor parents for Christmas and buy all their whole family, including the mom or dad's gifts. Oh. Um, so there's all types of ways you can give back. Do you know the website? Is it sparkhope.com or just Google It would Spark probably Hope? be .org. .org. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. We'll just say Google Spark Hope. I know. Right? I'm not good on my websites today. I'm that's sorry. A, that's okay. <laughs> Should have written them down. That's okay. We can all Google. Most of us anyways, the civilized ones. Right. Uh, <laughs> n- nothing Nothing fancy about the spelling of Spark. It's just S-P-A-R-K Hope. R-C. Oh, there we go. I'm yeah, glad I asked. Yeah, center. There we go. Yeah. S-P-A-R-C. There we go. S-P-A-R-C, Spark Hope. If you want to help a single person provide for their family or get an education or uh, with some career development. That's great. Thank you. for Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, what you do speak so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. Interesting. I like that. Yeah. Actions speak louder than words. Yes, ma'am. If you would like to be a guest on our show or you would like help creating and or distributing your own podcast content, please contact us uh, for more information. And now I'd like to take a moment to thank myself because without me, none of this would be possible. <laughs> I mean, yeah, kind of true. I script, and, <laughs> I script and cast the show, host and produce the show, and edit and distribute the show online online to each of our eight platforms. So I know I'm a little biased, but I'd like to thank myself. I think I... I, I thank you, too. Thank Thanks you. for having me. I appreciate that. Yes, one more time, Krista Yaki with Core Real Estate Partners. Thank you for being here. Yes. Such and a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, thank you to the listeners and sponsors of our show for making this podcast possible and hopefully successful. And we'll see you real soon on a future episode of the Respect the Math podcast. Have a great day.